Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Uh, There was a stretch of several years, uh, just a few years back, where I was a part, thank you, I was a part of of taking teams to Belize on short-term mission trips. And we served in a community called Bermudian Landing. Bermudian Landing is outside of Belize City, little country community, rural people, uh, man, just great memories there. There's one team in particular that stands out in my memory when I think about those trips to Belize. I got a picture of them to show you. We just had such a special time together, this group. You can probably find me if you look closely there, no beard. Um, we enjoyed fellowship with one another, with the Belizeans whom we were serving with. We taught children the gospel together of Jesus. We baptized new believers in the Belize River, which was kind of an adventure. There's a degree of difficulty added when there are crocodiles in the waters. That was true, there were crocodiles in those waters. We worked ourselves to exhaustion, and we were exhausted, but we laughed. Oh man, we laugh. We prayed together. Incredible times together. I mean, when I think about my life in the church and opportunities that God has, has given me to be a part of, that's at the top of the list or near the top of the list. Those, those Belize teams. Maybe you could think of a time like that where you had just an incredible experience with God. I was looking at that picture and some other pictures this week on Facebook. And when I was looking, I came across a comment that one of the women on that team made. I want to read it to you because I think it sums it up. She said, I would give just about anything to go back to that week where Jesus was so present in and around us all. I'd give anything, she said, to go back and experience that again. It was that rich. It was that powerful. Listen, I mean, those teams were growing. We went from six people to 12 people, to 25 people, to 35 people, to 50 people. We were taking hordes of people down there and just being a part of the work of God. It was an incredible time. She said, I'd go back and give anything to, to be there again and experience that. You know, we're, we're starting this series, Be Like Jesus. And, and the premise of this series is this. It's that you cannot be like Jesus on your own. That's really what we're going to be looking at during these next weeks. You cannot be like Jesus on your own. The development of Christian character requires a commitment to community specifically that I want to talk about here today. You know, we're, we're talking about gathering groups. You've heard this mentioned if you've been around here the past few weeks. And I'm really excited about those getting started up. If you're not a part of a gathering group, you need to join a gathering group. Because we really believe that you cannot be like Jesus on your own. We believe that the development of Christian character absolutely begins with a commitment to Jesus. I'll put it this way. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Ephesians 1 verses 22 through 23 says this about this gathering. You know, I think about that group in Belize. When I think about our community here at Christ Church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. God has put all things, all things, check that out all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Everything is under Jesus' authority. And it's all for the benefit of the church. The church is his body. 
Think about the high calling. Think about the power of the church. Think about the, the high bar that's set. The church is Jesus' body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Jesus fills the church. The bar is set high. All things are under the authority of Jesus. And yet, when we think about life in the church, sometimes it doesn't match those lofty expectations you may have when you read the scriptures. I'll take you back to that, that Belize moment again. Why was that so special? I mean, we were in outhouses, using outhouses for, for the bathroom. We, we, we were in like humidity that was off the charts. A lack of sleep. Why would someone say they want to go back to that? Look, there was a fullness that was experienced through our fellowship together, through our partnership in the gospel together. You know, I think a lot of people would say, yeah, I want to be a part of something like that. I, I want to experience that. If you haven't experienced it, you say, I want to experience that. If you have, you say, yeah, I'd give anything to go back and get me some of that. You know, I think it explains why CrossFit's so popular. CrossFit, if you're familiar with it, has done an incredible job creating community, giving people a shared experience, giving them a common sense of purpose. And I look at them and think, that's great. But why is the church not the ones who are taking the lead in culture, in society, and in, in leading people to have a rich part of belonging and a sense of purpose and a sense of brotherhood and sisterhood? The church should be the best in the world at this. Why is it that physical fitness is leading the way? No, the church should be leading the way in this. And I think that a lot of people, maybe some of you, whether you're worshiping in this room or online, I think a lot of people would say that their experience with the church, with the Christian community, has left them feeling dis disappointed. It's not like that Belize team. I think a lot of people would say, why aren't the friendships deeper in the church? I think there are people who would say, why aren't people more welcoming? Why don't I experience that kind of love? Why don't I feel that when I come into the church? Some of you were thinking, why don't I like these people? <laughs> I hope that's not the case. But yeah, sometimes, right? Why don't I feel like I like these people? Why don't I feel like I'm a part of something? In the church, we should feel like we're a part of something. We should feel like we belong. We should feel like we, yes, like these people. Love these people. And here's the thing. We have got to have that here. We've got to have it here. We've got to have that kind of vibe at Christ Church. That has to be a part of who you are. Don't you want that? And, and I believe that we can grow into that. In fact, I'd say this. I know, I know that we can grow into that through Jesus. It happens through Christ. Look, we're going to be getting into Philippians. Jeremiah has done a great job leading us into it this morning and, and reading a segment of the passage that we're going to look at. The background of the book of Philippians is actually set in the book of Acts chapter 16. And so if you want to go back this week and read Acts 16, I recommend that. And when you do, you'll see the beginnings of the church at Philippi, where the Philippian believers were gathering. And the core group is really interesting. You'll see it right there again in, in Acts 16. The core group of the church in Philippians, the people who are in their picture, 
in front of their church, so to speak, is, is a group of praying women, first of all. A group of praying women, I love that. It's also a, a woman named Lydia, who was a Jewish merchant. Then there's another person, a part of the, the core team. She was a young woman who had been demon-possessed. And she's a part. She'd been healed. And she's a part of that, that core group. And then there's a blue-collar Roman family. Talk about a hodgepodge of people. Talk about a people, group of people you wouldn't put together necessarily. This is the core group that forms the beginnings of the church in Philippi. And what we're going to see as we go through this series during the next nine weeks is we're going to see that this group grows into a church that is healthy and vibrant and full, like that group that I showed you from Belize and more. And that is what we desire to grow into. We want to be like Jesus. And we believe this, you cannot become like Jesus. You cannot be like Jesus on your own. We believe that the development of Christian character requires a commitment to community. And so let's go there right now. We're going to go into the book of Philippians. You can open your Bibles. You can take notes. We encourage you to do all those things. I encourage you to write down questions you may have. I'd love to hear some of those questions. We're going to begin in verses 1 and 2. And as we do, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I am going to make a quick couple of pit stops before we get to the main part of the text because there's some really important stuff here we need to unpack. Beginning in Philippians 1, Verses 1 and 2, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, they had a structure within their church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stop here and I just want to point out to you the very first line there, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, this is interesting. We're talking about Paul, right? Paul, the mighty apostle to the Gentiles. He's the guy who's a great evangelist, great theologian to the Greco-Roman world and to the, Rome, the world today. Timothy, who was his right-hand man, like his lieutenant, a person who was, was sent into to difficult circumstances, like going to help the church at Ephesus, this is a key leader in the apostolic community, Timothy. These two men together, Paul and Timothy, are giants of the faith. They have towering significance both then and now. And I want to point out to you this one thing, their preferred designation of themselves, their self-designation is servants or, according to the original language, slaves of Christ Jesus. That's how they refer to themselves. Not, hey, we're the big shots. Hey, we're the leaders of the church. Listen to us. Hey, we're apostles. We got a, we got a, we got a significant background. And they say, we're slaves to Jesus. That should say something to you and I about how we view ourselves. It also says something about how we can view this text because they speak, in other words, not on their own whim. Paul and Timothy, they're not speaking out of their own, their own wisdom they are speaking at the command of the Lord Jesus, whom they are enslaved to by their own words. They are surrendered. Their will is surrendered to his will. Their motives are subservient to his purposes. Their ambitions are brought in alignment with his goals, with, with God's plan. And it speaks to the authority, the trust, the significance that we should put in these words. 
Okay, you with me? Let's keep on going. Let's pick back up in, in verses three and four. Again, just a quick pit stop here because I think this is also interesting. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I feel that same way about Christ Church. I think of you and I think, oh man, I thank my God for you. Some of you are like, man, am I really making Pastor Craig thank God for me and the way I behave myself in the church? You can think about that. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. You know, there's this position, there's this posture of thanksgiving that Paul takes as he's expressing himself in this letter. And he's not thanking the Philippians. This is important. He's not saying, Philippians, thank you so much for being great people. Thank you for opening your homes. Thanks for being a great example of following Jesus. No, he is thanking God for them. He knows the object of his thanksgiving. Look, thank yous roll off of our tongues very easily. In fact, if you were to clock yourself every day, I bet you would find that you say thank you or thanks many, many times. Don't you agree? Someone holds the door for you. Thank you. You know, someone hands you something. Thanks for that. You type it in a text message. You type it in an email. We, we say thanks, and it, it rolls up our tongues a bunch, a bunch of times every day. Um, I had an experience many years ago, uh, my wife and I, at a dinner that stands up my memory. There was this guy who was over the top with his, with his thank yous. I mean, he literally said, thank you for this fork to the person who hosted us. Really, thank you for this fork. And then he said, thank you for this butter. I like butter too, but he said, thank you for this butter. It seemed like it was a little over the top to me. And he went on and on with his thank yous. It seemed a little weird, quite honestly. Listen, our, our gratitude, our thank yous should indeed be effusive, but the Lord deserves our deepest gratitude first. Thanksgiving, gratitude, runs on two planes. There is a horizontal plane where we express thanks to one another. But there's also, most, most importantly, more importantly, a vertical plane of thanksgiving. And we should express our thanks to God first and foremost. I'll point you to James chapter 1, verse 17. I think this, this expresses this well. It says in, in James 1 and 17, every good and perfect gift is from above. Where's it come from? From above, from God, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And so I'd ask you this, are your prayers marked by thankfulness? Are you a person who gives thanks to God? I know this, you know, a couple years ago, I, I tried to go through an exercise where I focused less on my prayer request and more on thanksgiving to God. In other words, less of God help me with this and help me with this situation and I'm really worn out by this and I don't know what to do here, which tend to be a lot of my prayers. How about you? I went instead and I said, you know what? I'm gonna give thanks to God in my prayer time. It's not that asking and making my request known to God is a bad thing, that's a good thing. But instead, I wanted to focus on Thanksgiving. It was so hard. I had like the hardest time not thinking about myself and my own predicament, and my own wants, and my own needs. I'm not even thinking about my neighbors or the world. I'm thinking about myself. Thanksgiving, what if you were to try this this week? In your prayers, take an inordinate amount of time. Take, a, take an extra amount of time and express thanksgiving to God. Maybe you'll write out some, a list of things you're thankful for. Here's what I believe will happen. 
when you do this and when I do this, there's a change that takes place in us. And all of a sudden, I view people differently. And all of a sudden, I view my circumstances in a different light when I am thankful, when I'm in thanksgiving, a position of thanksgiving. And Paul's joy was fueled by thanks. I'm sorry, joy fueled Paul's thanksgiving. That's what I want to say. Joy fueled Paul's thanksgiving. Paul was not a dispassionate person. If you've read the epistles, if you've read the New Testament, you will know that for sure. Paul is not dispassionate. I'll point this out to you. You're going to learn in verse 7 that the location of, of the authorship of his prayers in this moment is prison. Paul is in prison. He's serving a two-year term in a prison in Rome. And during this time, what's he doing? He's using words like joy and thanksgiving for the Philippians. This isn't just some kind of quirk of his personality. No, what he's showing us is we should be, as a part of our gatherings, as a part of our communities, it should be marked by joy. Paul was a joyous person. He gives thanks. We should do the same. I urge you to be people who joy is a natural and normal and necessary part of our fellowship together. Okay, now we get to the, the really the crux of what we want to talk about in verses 5 through 8 and then 9 through 11. Let's look at 5 through 8 right now. We're considering what Paul has to say to us in the letter to the Philippians, inspired by God, to us about our community. What does it look like for us to be a people who are gathered in fellowship and, and living together for the Lord? How can we have a taste of that community that we desire to be a part of, where we're a part of something bigger than ourselves, when we feel like we belong? Let's go there now, verses 5 through 8. <clears throat> Paul continues and says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will continue it onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my hearts and whether I am in chains, he's in prison, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul really loved his people. What a great example for us. He sets the bar. He sets the tone. He takes the lead in loving one another. And what he shows us here are three reasons for the thanksgiving. And it all hangs on the word partnership. Did you point that out? You might underline it in your Bible. You might highlight it. He says, because of your partnership, an important word. This word partnership would be the Greek word that might be familiar to some of you who've been around the church, koinonia. Heard that word before? Koinonia. This Greek word indicates not just small talk with coffee. It's not that kind of partnership. It's not that kind of fellowship. It's not that kind of community. The koinonia here is partnership in a message. That's what it is. This is really important. It's partnership with a great purpose. And so in other words, the gospel message, the message of Jesus, unites us with God the Father through Christ. And it also, though, creates an incredible bond between us. There is fellowship. There is partnership in the message. That's what he's talking about when he talks about your partnership in the gospel. There's partnership in this message. 
Why was the Belize group so tight? I'll tell you what. I really believe that for some reason, by God's grace, we were able to get it right that year. And we had somehow this great partnership in the gospel. We were connected. We were in lockstep. And we had, we had fellowship with God. We had fellowship with one another. And this partnership, look, it's in money. It's in mission. It's in maturity. And it certainly all begins with the message. He thanks God for their past partnership. How do you have the kind of community where you feel like you're a part of something, where you belong? It begins by having a partnership that's rooted, that's founded in the gospel message. That's where true community lies. It's not just a bunch of nice people. Let's keep on going <clears throat> because there's another form of partnership that he expresses thanksgiving for. There's the past partnership but there's also the future partnership. Look with me at verse six. This is one that you might want to memorize. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's thanking God for the future partnership. He knows this. He knows that the one, God, who began a good work, who's brought these good things out of the people in Philippi, he knows it's going to be completed not by the Philippians, but by the Lord Jesus, by God's power. Look, you ever feel like, oh man, I, I don't know how I'm going to keep on going. You ever feel that way? Probably every week, right, at some point. Maybe daily. I don't know how I'm going to keep on going. In certain seasons, it feels even more difficult. Or maybe if you often felt like, man, I am at the end of my rope. Don't think I can hang on much longer. Maybe you feel like you're running out of steam. Look, whenever you feel that way, you have to remember this. We're not the ones who keep ourselves to the end. It's not us. That's what this verse, verse 6, reminds us of. It's not us who keeps ourselves to the end. We are kept to the end by Jesus. It's Jesus who keeps us to the end. We don't fuel our own race. And here's when he's going to keep us going until. Until the day of Christ Jesus. That is the second coming. That is the return of Jesus. He will keep working in us. He will fuel us. He'll give us the ability to keep on going. Even when we don't feel like we can, he's the one who will do it. And so Paul knows that they have not just begun well in Philippi. He knows that they will end well. He has this confidence because it's God who began the work and it's God who's going to finish the work. And so they've had a past partnership and there's a future partnership for them to look forward to. Come on, you got to feel this. When we got a past partnership he's thankful for. He's got a future partnership. This all informs who we are as a people. And then he speaks of a present partnership. Did you catch this here? If you look at, at verse 7, at the tail end, he says, all of you share in God's grace with me. All of you, he says in Philippi, you share in God's grace with me. This is a word in the, in the ancient Greek that's, that's similar to the word koinonia. It speaks to this partnership again. And there's a grace that's binding them together. Even though Paul's in prison, even though he's on the front lines, there's a grace that's binding them together. They are, as Pastor Ed often talks about, they are linking arms in solidarity. That's the picture. There is a present partnership. You know, I'm so grateful we have a partnership, for instance, with Urban Impact Foundation. I'm so grateful that we have a partnership with Choices, that we have a partnership with YWAM, 
that we have a partnership with, 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 with um, uh, oh gosh, I forgot the name of it, the, uh, the camp, Seneca, not Seneca Hills, uh, you know what I'm talking, Pine Valley, thank you, Jeremiah, from the front row with the save, Pine Valley, we have a partnership with them. I'm so thankful, I can't remember the name of the camp, but Pine Valley is the camp. I'm so thankful we have these partnerships, a present partnership that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have this, we have this grace, we share it together, we're linking arms together. We saw evidence of the fruit of it yesterday at Man Up, which was incredible. Hundreds of men coming together in Christ to consider battling fatherlessness in many ways in the city of Pittsburgh. We have a present partnership. And so Paul says this. He's saying, be participants in ministry. You know, the the ancient people here could have said, oh, we've got the Apostle Paul. He's the all-star. Let's let Paul do that. Let's let Paul be the one. He's the, he's the apostle after all. He's the one who's the professional. We're just the consumers. They weren't saying that at all. This group of people says, no, we're linking arms. We have a present partnership. We are in this together. There is grace, the grace of Jesus that binds us together. And so Paul is here and he is giving this picture of partnership. It's a past partnership founded in the gospel. It is a future partnership, one that God will see to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it is a present partnership where they are locking arms together, everyone's in, all hands in the pile, all in, ready to go, they are part of the team. You may say, well, how can we do this? How can we be a part of this kind of partnership? Look, I'll give you just some simple ways. What if some of you were to tap someone on the shoulder, maybe a younger believer, and read the Bible with them once a week? Really? You might say, well, I'm not really reading the Bible myself. Hey, it's a great way to start. You'll have accountability built in. What if you were to get together, men, with a young man and read the scriptures with him? What if you, women, were to get together with a younger woman and read the scriptures with them? That's a way we could do this. That's how we can have this partnership in the gospel. I'll give you another way. What if you were to pray with your colleagues and your friends? Take the lead. We have those little scripture books we've talked about praying the scriptures. Use one of those as a means of fueling your prayer. What if you were to practice hospitality? Open your home. This is a way that we could be partners in the gospel. Paul thanks God for the partnership he has, a a past partnership, a future partnership, and importantly, a present partnership. We've got to have that kind of partnership, the kind of partnership that gives, the kind of partnership that goes, the kind of partnership that serves, the kind of partnership that suffers. And it does it so that we can have the rich community we all desire to have. I want to take you to verse 9. Paul continues here and he says, this is my prayer. I want to pause there just for a moment. He says, this is my prayer. Perhaps the greatest joy, really, the greatest joy is going before the throne of God with or on behalf of another person. Look, we have these Wednesday night prayer meetings here. Man, they're great. You might say, oh, an hour of prayer. I don't, that sounds like a long time. What do you do? It's incredible. It's something that that doesn't really register with the mind of of how powerful and how great it can be. But every time I leave on a Wednesday, I think, wow, is there any other way that I should spend my time? What a great thing. There is something powerful, transcendent that takes place when we pray together. You should join us on a Wednesday night. Paul here is saying, he's saying, look, I'm praying 
It's my privilege. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight. Look, this is a prayer for maturity. It's a three-part prayer, I'm suggesting, prayer for maturity that Paul is starting here. And he begins with the foundational piece. The foundational piece is love. Paul says, look, I, I pray that your love would grow more and more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. Look, if love is where it ought to be in our place, in our midst, then, then everything else will follow. That Belize team that I showed you the picture of, man, I'll tell you what, that we had, we had it going on there. The Lord was with us. By his grace, we were able to love one another together with the Belizeans. And what Paul is praying here for is that they and we would abound more and more love. We have abounding love. He prays that we would have discerning love, depth of insight. This is a mature love. A mature love is one that has depth, one that's discerning, not blind love. It's the heart and the mind working together. You know, knowledge of God, to really know him on one hand, intellectually, spiritually, all at once. And I love that he says this. He says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, more and more, he says. That's really a nice way of him saying, Yin still have a long way to go. And it's true, isn't it? We have a long way to go. We have a long way to go in growing in love. They have love. It's there. It's present. But there's still plenty of room for growth. So it is for us. There's a prayer for maturity and love. Look at verse 10. Let's keep going. He says, I pray that you, your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There's the day of Christ again, his coming again, his second coming, the return of Christ. So you may be able to discern what is best and what may be pure, and you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He's praying now, not only for their love, but also for their maturity of character. Paul here is praying for their maturity of character. He says that he desires that they would be pure and blameless. This is the kind of test, the kind of character rather, that can pass the test When Jesus returns, a mature kind of faith, a mature kind of character. I want to ask you a question. Are you going hard after the characteristic elements of Christian discipleship? I mean, you're going hard after it. In other words, are you a person of prayer? Are you a person who loves the scriptures, who loves the word of God? Are are you a person who uses your time to reflect and embrace and contribute to the things of God, are you the kind of person who uses your your resources, your money, your wealth to contribute to the things of God? Do you love to be a part of the kingdom and its work? Look, are you going hard after the characteristic elements of Christian discipleship? Paul's prayer is that they would be, that we would be, pure and blameless, mature, mature character on the day of Christ. And this isn't just something that's private. It's not just individualistic. And I think we're getting a little bit into this these days. So I ask you this question. Do you gather with the people of God? 
I am so grateful for the live stream. So grateful we've had that, that technology and the way to connect throughout the season. It's blessed a lot of people in this room. It's blessing people today. We're so grateful for it. On the same, um, on the same note, though, I have to say this. We also, though, have to gather as the people of God. It's a part of growing in character. It's a part of growing in, in love for one another. We have to be together. Do you sit under teaching? Not just on Sunday morning here. I know there's a lot of accountability for me there. But are you desirous of good teaching? you got to be. It's a part of growing in Christian character. Do you celebrate the sacraments as a people together? These are a part of us growing in mature Christian character. And, and these are central means of God's grace in our lives. I'll point out to you last thing. Look at verse 11. He says, and he goes on, he says that you may be able to discern what is best, pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. He prays they'd be filled and fruitful. Sounds like donuts. Filled and fruitful is what he prays for them. He wants them to not only be mature in love and mature in character, but he wants them to be mature in Christian service. Not just talking about Christian church activities. We had a great event here last Sunday. Uh, Bethany Rary, our, our children's minister, had the run the race thing, families together. It was awesome. That's a great thing. I love when people participate in events like that. But I'm not just talking about in terms of maturity and service. Not just talking about uh, church activities. We're talking about the kind of fruit that comes when we are in fellowship with Christ. Look, we, you and I, cannot produce this kind of fruit. The kind of fruit that he's talking about, the maturity that comes through Jesus Christ, comes indeed through Christ. Look at John 15. I'll read you verses 4. I'm probably going to read 5 too. Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself and must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And he goes on to say this. He, play, he spells it out. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You want to see fruit in your lives. You want to see maturity of service and maturity of love and maturity of character begins with us as a people being rooted in Christ, being like Jesus, which is why we're doing this series. I got to go back to verse 1 as I, as I wrap this up. Verse 1 in ESV reads a little bit differently. I want to revisit it and look at this with me in ESV. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants, slaves of Christ Jesus. And then it says this, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. I think it's really interesting, the part that stands out to me there. It says, to all the saints. To all the saints. You know, we talk about the church. Why isn't it a place where people are more friendly? Why isn't it more welcoming? Why don't I like these people? Why don't I feel like I'm a part of something? Look, in this scripture, it says, to the saints. This is not just to the church, it doesn't say. It doesn't say to the assembly. It doesn't say to the congregation. It says to the saints. So are these extraordinary members of the faith? 
Are these like the super Christians? No, that's not what it's referring to. Are these people who have just such high moral standards that they're saints? Is that what they're talking about? No, that's not it either. The Greek indicates that the way this should read would be this, to the holy ones, the saints, the holy ones who are in Christ Jesus. Look, to be a Christian, we're talking about community here today, to be a Christian is to be a holy one, one who is sanctified. And look, this speaks of something that's already been done in the past. That's one of the things about the verb tense here. It speaks to something that's already been done in the past. Let your mind wrestle with this. This isn't a gradual process it's referring to. This is how we typically think of salvation, that it's a gradual process. No, this is saying it's already true of every single Christian. Not just becoming saints. We're not just becoming saints. We already are saints. And let me tell you this. It is the effectual call of God that makes a saint a saint. No, nope, it has nothing to do with you. You're not a saint because you are, you are holy in yourself. No, you're, you're a saint because you are in the Holy One himself. You know, we say when we receive Christ, we say, I, I accepted Jesus into my heart. I get that. No, a better way to say it is right here. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. That is what we are. We are in Christ Jesus. There are no self-made holy ones. The effectual call of God is what makes us saints. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.11. Sanctification. We're talking about it. That is what some of you are, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You got this? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You are now a saint through Jesus Christ. I'll show you what this looks like with a quick video clip. Check this out. This is from 2003. holy ones. You know, there we have the, the fall of Saddam Hussein represented through the falling of that statue. Well, like the statue of Saddam Hussein in the second Gulf War, the reign of sin in you and in me has been overthrown. That's symbolic. That statue to me is symbolic of, of, of Sudan Hassan, Hassan Hussein, Sudan's, I can't say his name right now, Saddam Hussein, that guy. 
It's like his power has been torn down, right? It's, it's representative of that. Well, the sin of tyranny has been shattered. The reign of, of sin has been torn down. There's a new government. There's a new reign of grace. We are born anew. You know, we remember, if you think back to those days, th- there was a time where for many weeks after the toppling of that statue that Hussein was still alive. He was a fugitive. He was hiding in dark places. Well, in the same way, though we consider ourselves holy ones, through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, with a humble thought, the old tyrant, our enemy, is still out there lurking. The enemy, power of death, power of sin, is still lurking. And so that is why we need one another to be a community where we have a great partnership where we're growing together in maturity so that we can be like Jesus. You start by joining one of those gathering groups. I pray you will. I'm going to pray and close with this from Ephesians 3. Paul, again, and this is kind of a parallel passage to what we've read today. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. He's praying again. From him, every family in heaven and earth derives its name, He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. This is important. Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. May we as a people be committed to community, growing in Christian character together, knowing the kind of community that God has called us to through Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we do come before you and pray. We turn to you, Father, And we pray, Lord, that out of your glorious riches, that you would strengthen us in every way, strengthen us in our character. Strengthen us, Lord, in our service. Strengthen us in love. Lord, I pray that we truly would be partners, partners in the kingdom way, partners with one another, partners with other faithful ministries across the city, and it would be for your glory. I pray, Lord, that we would have the kind of community here that's rich and welcoming, that's filled with friendship and joy and service, and that we would truly be as one, united in the gospel. Lord, I pray that this would happen together with all of the Lord's holy people, and that we would truly begin to grasp, because we can only begin to grasp how wide and deep and high and long is the love of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.